I sound like shit. Okay, McGean. Oh, hi, you're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. Also, this episode is being recorded from two rooms away from each other, as my guest this week is someone who I also currently live with, and thanks to our unvaccinated heroes, I'm finally being taken out by COVID. I wish I was with a different comic earlier this week recording another Service from Hell episode, and she is triple-vaxxed, but did not know she was actively infected, and then her virus jumped ship and into my body. So this is like Michael Jordan's flu-ridden Game game 5 of the NBA 97 finals, or like Carrie Strug landing her flippy shit when she had a broken ankle. This is exactly the same as that. So let's excitedly and deliciously eat. I'd like to welcome a familiar guest from a bonus episode here for her first, as promised, full episode, Megan Deneen. Megan, originally from New York, is currently a director of development for NBC Entertainment, go ahead, girl, where she oversees the creation of comedy specials for the streaming platform Peacock. Her decade-long career in the television industry has touched upon many different areas in showbiz, including unscripted television, documentary film, and marketing. She spent a large portion of her time in television with the Sci-Fi Network, where she helped launch an editorial-based Sci-Fi Wire and co-developed the sci-fi series The Great Debate, hosted by Baron Vaughn. Megan is also the co-producer of Yum's the Word, a comedic storytelling show where she worked with incredible talents such as Joy Behar, Asif Manvi, Tim Gunn, and Mo Roca. So that said, Megan, tell us, how did you get involved with comedy? What makes you the most excited when scouting talent? What do you wish everyone knew about comedy? Tell us. Comedy. Hmm. I mean, I've always been a huge, big, like, big time fan of comedy, uh, obsessed with Eddie Izzard and John Leguizamo growing up and their incredible shows. But in college, I was lucky enough to end up meeting somebody, uh, this woman, Robin Gelfenbein, who is the creator of Yum's the Word. And she kind of brought me under her wing to help her co-produce and run uh, this live storytelling show in New York. And it's where I got to meet a lot of New York performers and comedians and kind of started to scratch the itch of like, ooh, I really enjoy this. And I really like bringing people together to laugh and have a good time. And is there a certain part, like, because there's various styles of comedy. There's like alt comedy. There's, uh, that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Do you have a particular style of comedy that you're like, oh, that's my jam? You know, it's funny. I... I, I kind of have a, a style of comedy that I know is not my jam. Like, I just tend to not gravitate a lot towards sketch. I really tend to gravitate toward comedians or comedic personalities who not only can get you, like, punch with jokes, but also kind of really nice story arcs and things that have a nice culmination or a theme. And so I always say, like, storytelling and more of that like off-Broadway scene is kind of like totally my jam. So was comedy always your number one wish? I wish I could say that, but no. Like, I, I know I meet a lot of people in comedy who are like, I've always known this is exactly the only thing I wanted to do. I'm the opposite. I'm like one of those people who I'm very interested in a lot of things. And so I, I think I just kind of approached entertainment in generally as I like problem solving. I generally like to laugh. Uh, and I like people who are cool to spend time with. Uh, and so it sort of just directed me towards comedy. Like, 
I always hate those stories when people are like, I knew when I was seven that I wanted to work in comedy. I don't know. I know I was dealing with childhood trauma. I, didn't know to, <laughs> I, I didn't know what I was. Uh, I didn't know who I was trying to be. Just every step of the way, my career kind of kept leading me towards there. I don't know. I was never like fixated and knew it would knew it was the place I'd end up. But when I got my current job, it sort of was like this culmination of like, oh, this makes sense. <laughs> like I actually. Yeah, a lot of people weren't surprised when I got this job. And I was like, really? I was. <laughs> okay, and what's something that you wish everybody knew about comedy? Comedy is not binary. Like, I think for a long time, what we described or defined as comedy was, like, very straightforward. And it was, like, a person on stage with a microphone. I just don't think that's the only facet of comedy. You know, like, I think the thing that, like, always kind of gravitated me towards comedy is it's, like, a way of catharsis. It's a way for us to process things. And so I always just want people to know that, like, just because you see one type of comedy and maybe you don't like it or it doesn't jive with you doesn't mean you don't you aren't comedic or don't have a comedic sensibility like i think there's a lot of diversity now in what comedy can be and sometimes that's comedy while you're bawling your eyes out and other times it's comedy while you're side splitting laughing and trying to not pee yourself and what is your favorite part in the development process honestly it's like meeting with talent and talking about their ideas you know like when i when i was fortunate to get this job i think one of the first things i said to somebody was i'm so excited to give opportunities to other comedians and performers and just to to meet with people who are at all different stages of their career talk about what they love like we get to nerd out and so it's just like i get to meet really incredibly passionate people people are doing really interesting things and i've always enjoyed kind of working with a creative to figure out okay how do we like fit these puzzle pieces in to make it work in from an entertainment perspective because it's still the entertainment industry and Gotta make money. Um, okay, so <laughs> listeners got just a little bit of taste of your New York growing up in the bonus episode, but when you were little baby Megan and you were walking through some, you know, rough experiences, so much as you didn't know that comedy was going to be your lane, did you always think, but entertainment something? Yeah, no, I definitely, I, I always gravitated towards it. I, you know, was in the school play. I was in concert choir. I was an all-state soprano singer. I played cello and clarinet. And so I definitely, like, the performing arts in some way, shape, or form was definitely something I was interested in. I did not realize at that time, though, that performing arts could mean, like, you do the business and logistics side of it. I was friends with very talented people and I was kind of like well this guy's got perfect pitch what the hell am I gonna do like, like I'm barely can read music and that person I'm referencing is now works on Broadway awesome and, uh, at the same time definitely knew that like I thrived on especially live content like I, I mean I love a good scripted show or shooting a movie but the idea that like you go out there and it happens and there's nothing you can do about it afterwards like I just kind of love that and that adrenaline rush. And so I've always really gravitated towards entertainment. I mean, I always loved live music growing up. I think in retrospect, yeah, it was always pretty clear. Uh, but maybe at the time, I think I just thought I was, you know, absorbing all this stuff around me that I enjoyed. You're you're really young. And so I would imagine that I'm really young. you are your little baby person. So I imagine that you have people that don't necessarily take you seriously in and maybe not at the current job, but in other jobs where you because you are incredibly smart. And so do you have experience where you've had to, especially as a woman, kind of 
claw your way in because comedy is traditionally a boys club. And so have you found that you've had to be like, okay, but, but I can play as well. Or have you found it? There's been less resistance. Oh, there's definitely been resistance. I mean, as you mentioned, comedy is a boys club and, and just also entertainment's a highly competitive industry. And, you know, regardless of, you know, nepotism and all those arguments, like there's a lot of people who have parents and connections in this industry. And it's not just about how talented you are. It is about who you know. And so I, I think not having any form of like an entertainment family pedigree, I always felt a little out of place, but I would definitely say through a lot of my early career, especially when I was at Sci-Fi, I think people were often very shocked when they met me in person and they were like, oh, you're like 26. <laughs> I'm not 26 anymore, just to be clear. I mean, but you look uh, at that. <laughs> yeah, I, I would find that like, especially because I can be very professional in email and so then people would meet me and they were like, oh, I thought you were like an adult. Like straight up, like I have kids and I write emails with one finger each like kind of person. Well, and then in my, like my new job, you know, candidly, I didn't work in development before this. And I think development has a very sort of specific pipeline of how you get into to those jobs and it's often working for an agent or assisting someone or really kind of like riding the desks of different development people and I just didn't have those opportunities and so when I kind of came into this job as a director I think there were a lot of folks that were like well where the hell did you come from which is fair I mean I think that's like where did I come from but at the same time you know making sure to legitimize that like yeah I know I haven't been in comedy specifically this whole time but like I've been making television like so I, I know the ropes and I'm not a total noob and so I think that's been interesting too of like comedy can be very insular and very exclusionary yeah I think that's a really great way to put it and it, weirdly it took the free show I worked on for a long time yum's the word where I built relationships and suddenly people were like oh wait yeah yeah I know Megan like she's she's been producing stuff for a while and so it just like I don't know it's been interesting kind of navigating the whole like hmm sci-fi to comedy how does that really work and I'm like it's a leap but I did it you sure did. And you're crushing it. Can you think of a time when, you know, you were in the middle of a show, whether it was Yum's the Word or you were on set for any of the things you're doing now and there was a crisis and you were like, OK, I'm going to come up with the weirdest way to solve this, but I'm going to solve it in real time and it's happening and everything's on fire and no problem. Everybody else around me is freaking out and I got this. Yes. So. When I worked at Sci-Fi, we used to do uh, a television show live from Comic-Con. And so at the time, I worked on the marketing team, but the marketing team was responsible for capturing all this stuff on the ground and making all these promos. And since we were doing a live show, we were literally live editing things that had to get turned around really quickly. We were in this makeshift post room, which was kind of like in the conference room of a hotel and the show is live and we're trying to pull clips and get things out super quick. And there was somebody at the time was sort of hovering over a lot of people and not making the situation worse. And I just very calmly kind of looked over and I was like, you leave now. And then like picked up a thumb drive, threw it to an assistant editor. And I was like, load that up. I got to put it on the sand and like moved on. And I just, I think it was like an hour later. I was like, 
that was a beautiful ballet of just like <laughs> I was like you're not helping you get out we have work to do boom and like just kind of laser focused and like there's no room for error and so I just kind of like had to take control of the situation um which I don't even really know if it was my job at the time I like it was just like you know what we gotta get this done I need you to get off that editor's dick and we need to move on <laughs> <laughs> that's a really really niche unique skill that I I mean, anybody that produces live TV or any live events, like I, kudos, because that level of stress, I I mean, I think maybe OR doctors have a similar level of stress, but I really can't think of an equivalent in the real world. If you could carve out a perfect production top to bottom, what's the one thing that makes something either run really smoothly or maybe it's not even one thing, but like something that top to bottom, when you look back, you're like that production worked because of X. Lack of ego. Come on with that, Megan. And and I mean that from everything down to, hey, a PA who has to hold people on the sidewalk so they don't cut the shot. Like you are just as important as the people on camera. And so like, you know, making sure that everybody knows that my role is at, so important and that we're here to collaborate and like pull something together um and with that it's like not being an asshole you know i know that's a pretty common thing that people say but it's it's true like if you have to work in a high stress situation do you want to work with somebody who's an asshole or somebody who's nice and collaborative and has the collective interest of getting this thing done and off the ground Mm-mm-mm. Promise we didn't script that, y'all. I'm too sick to think ahead. Like, okay, Megan, with the truth. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed your apps. We're going to move on to the entrees after a quick break where I cough all over my body. Well, folks, we are back. I haven't died yet. And now we're going to move on to the entrees. Okay, Megan is a very kind roommate and uh, has been able to listen to the podcast. It's very sweet. And so she has some idea of these questions, but probably hasn't memorized them. So a lot of this is going to be off the cuffs. What was your first job ever? Now, I try to categorize this as where the government was taking taxes out of your paycheck, but some people have said babysitting or a paper route or whatever. So whatever you feel like was your first job job. My first job job was uh, a hostess at a diner where I made $45 on a Sunday night, like cash under the table. And did you like that job? From being a hostess, progressed into being a server and worked at that diner for the better part of 10 years. There were parts of that job I didn't like, but it was an extremely formative time in my life. This was just a cafe that was in the town over from us. And at the time, my cousin and her friend had been working there and I needed money and they were like hey why don't you take over our hosting shift because we're gonna start waitressing and why were they paying you 45 under the table were you just you were not a payrolled employee so they didn't even have you on the books no i mean to be honest no almost no one at that restaurant (laughs) was on payroll i (laughs) i did i did eventually like years later end up on payroll because he would put some of us on payroll because he had to legally show that he was paying some employees um But to be honest, we never actually got checks. Uh, He still paid us cash out of the register every night. It was some real run and gun shit, but I appreciate it. And then fast forward to, I found out the guy who owned that diner had the same accountant as my dad. Sure. (laughs) Sure. Okay, Pete, 
you you just shaking hands with all the right people. Okay. <laughs> okay, so feel free to count and take your time with this. How many customer service jobs have you had told? And I would argue very much so what you do now is customer service. I know it's not in the traditional sense, but managing personalities, massaging, trying to get stuff done, all in the name of the greater good, I would consider as customer service. So if we if we talk straight like real customer service jobs, so you have the hosting slash waitressing job that I did at, um, it was International Delight Cafe. I also was a barista at a coffee shop. I worked for a one hour photo for a long time where I had to process pictures and print things out, but I would have to interact with customers who constantly were like, I don't understand why I'm cutting my cat's head off with the camera. <laughs> like, so truly uh, an interesting one. And then I also worked retail in college for a camera company called Lamography, where we were, you know, trying to get people to buy 35 millimeter film and cameras in the 21st century. Uh, so that was a really uh, interesting job as well. Something that you're not telling on yourself about is that Megan is a phenomenal photographer and studied it in college and has just a lot of amazing photos. So was Lomography your last sort of traditional customer service job before you got into media and sci-fi and all that stuff? It was. It was sort of the job I had as I was finishing my degree in college. And I actually have a funny story about that if yeah. you want to hear it. Yeah. Well, so this job sucked, except for the people. Everybody at this job I'm still friends with to this day. Like, But... We got paid garbage, I think, at the time. So let's see, it was like 2011 or 2010, and we were making like $12 an hour. Oh, come on. You can't live on that. Well, and also in New York, and also like it required that you had a very like knowledgeable skill set in analog photography, which is like a dying art. Yeah. Right. So everybody I worked with went to art school and had like $200,000 in loans while we're all making like $12 selling these cameras from China that like we know are made for 10 cents on the dollar. But like it also was this like crazy ass company where like they'd throw parties and everything and the general manager at the time, who was a special person and a little <laughs> creepy. Um, oh, good. I was like six months away from graduating NYU, and he tries to convince me that I should quit college to be a manager for this company to make $37,000 a year. And I laughed in his face. When he said that. <laughs> I like straight up was like, yeah, no, that's not really a smart financial decision. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and then like fast forward to close to like when I was graduating, I put my notice in. because I was like, I'm done. I don't want to work this company anymore. And two days later, that same general manager had the shop manager who was my best friend and still is to this day, call me from a work event where she was hammered to fire me because he didn't like that I didn't want to quit my college education to make money working in retail. He was deeply offended. So she called me drunk and she was like, this is really where, but I have to fire you. Um, (laughs) And I go, but I already quit. And she was like, yeah, I think he just wants the last word. And I go, okay, well, I'm supposed to work a shift tomorrow morning. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to have to cover it. And I was like, wait, so I'm just done? Like, all right, <laughs> peace, man. But I just still love that. Like, I was like, oh, are you butthurt? Because I don't want to make a very unsmart financial decision like you did. But also you were six months out. It's not like he caught you the first semester of freshman year and was like, yo, this ain't it. He was like, hey, you're super close to getting that piece of paper that costs a whole lot of money and like we'll open a whole lot of doors how about you not like that's so 
That's insane. And that does feel like a projection. So, okay. So that would be six total in the customer service sort of realm specifically. And then, yeah, I think so let's see like hosting. Oh, well I forgot. Oh no, wait, hold on. So the diner where I was a hostess and a waitress, we'll count that as one. Oh, okay. I was a barista. Okay. I worked at the one hour photo. I also was a um, waiter at a Charlie Brown's for a hot minute. No, you have to tell everyone what Charlie Brown's is right now. Oh, Charlie Brown's is like a chain steakhouse that has an unlimited salad bar. It's it's real draw. I'll just tell you this right now. If you get a coupon that says you get two steak dinners for $19.99 and a chocolate malted lava cake, it's not good and you are not classy for it. I love sizzle tip after that. Oh, you are super not classy if you don't tip. But uh, before you talk shit about that 1999 two for one or whatever, Sizzler is one of my favorite places. But uh, Charlie Brown's has the best ranch dressing possibly on the planet. I just want to make a note of that. What I loved about Charlie Brown's was people's obsession with booths. They <laughs> everyone wanted to sit in a booth. And one time like people would you'd literally go, I could sit you right now. Or you could wait an hour for a booth. And they're like, I'll wait an hour. And this older gentleman once just stormed into the dining room and was like, I want this table. And I was like, yes, sir, you can have this table. When the couple eating at it finishes their (laughs) meal. But they happened to be up at the salad bar at the time. And so then this table also happened to be an older couple. And the woman came back, was utterly confused and then spent five minutes walking around the restaurant asking people, do you know where my table is? Oh, that actually breaks my heart. I hate that. And I was that. like, sir, I need you to get up from this woman's table. I, like, you can ha- you can sit here when she's done with her meal. Did he get up? Yeah. It, like, I had to, like, he had a walker. It was a whole thing. And I just, like, that will forever stick in my mind of, like, do you know where my table is? And I'm like, yeah, it's right here. But this crazy man <laughs> is just real hopped up about a salad bar. Hijacked your fucking table. Okay, wait, I have to know. Okay, so... Well, so we're going to we're going to cap it at what was that? Like I counted seven, but uh, that was adding. Okay, for the one hour photo job. Did you ever develop photos and see some peens or some vagines? You know, honestly, never. I was quite surprised. I never really saw anything super scandalous, which kind of shocked me. That's Um, annoying. It was a lot of boring shit, honestly. Like, hey, lady, you don't need 17 of the same picture of you sitting on a ski lift or like. God, I don't know. It just. I think the more interesting thing that I would get, and not that it was scandalous, but we did retouching and um, like restoration. And so people would bring in like old photos uh, and you'd kind of be like, what the fuck is this? Like, and a lot of them are like war photos. And it's just like some dude all meddled up with a gun. And you're just like almost building these fake stories in your head of who these people are. That's so cool. Did you, so you actually know how to restore photos? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that the hardest shit of all time? That must be so meticulous. I mean, I'm like okay at it. There are people who like really can do it really well. I can do some simple stuff, but I've seen some work that's absolutely incredible. And that job in general, did you get a lot of diva type of personalities who were like, because especially because that's such a niche art form at this stage of the game, would you get people that would just be the most demanding, annoying people ever there? Yes, but they're not going to be who you expect. Really? Like, it was like a, you know, local town Photoshop. And so most of the time, to- people who came in were like moms, you know? Uh. And by God, they could be so annoying. And just like, 
women who have no concept, by the way, of like, they bring something in, they're like, I want to print this. And I'm like, okay, well, it's a cell phone photo of a thing. Like, it's not going to blow up to a big poster. And they're like, why? It looks fine here. Oh, my God. And then, like, they'd force you to be like, okay. And then you'd print out a 24 by 36 of this, like, crazy pixelated picture. And they're like, I'm not paying for that. Right. It's why I told you 17 times, like, it's not the right resolution. And so you would get a lot of just, like, oh, you can't you do that in an hour? And I'm like, no, I can't do everything in an hour. Like, we did custom framing and matting and, like, all this other stuff, too. And it just was... It was quite hilarious, I think, how, despite how technology has advanced, how inept people are at to like, hey, this is how this works. Okay, so what would, like, if, if someone came in and they were insisting that you printed something that ended up being pixelated, would you make them pay for it? No, because oh, my boss nice. at the time, it was such a struggling business and my boss would just cave half the time. Like, he would try with me to argue. Yeah. There were times where he'd be like, no, like, I told you seven times this wasn't going to work. Like, it depended on who it was, but often he was a little bit of a pushover, I think, because there wasn't really a thriving uh, photography business sure. uh, in a lot of places at the time. And did you ever see any dead bodies? in any of the photos like nothing scandalous at all i know no peens no, or virgin i really nothing. think i'm trying Damn. to think but like nothing scandalous really oh, i thought if i circled back maybe you'd think of it all right cool so no nothing scandalous what was your favorite job of those seven customer service jobs it's a tie between the diner and lamography lamography was the job sucked but the people were incredible and it was college and like we partied all the time and just had a lot of fun and some of the best friends i've ever made but the diner also was incredible because it was like where I learned how to talk to people. Like you just have to go up to a table and be like, hi, how you doing? What do you want? And like I was 16. I mean, like, well, you want me to talk to strangers? Like, yeah. And same thing. Like I worked with a lot of young women around my age. We're all kind of going through similar things. And so it was just like there was such an intense camaraderie to working there and so I think both of those jobs really stick like have a place in my heart because of not just the job itself but the things it taught me and the people it introduced me to that's lovely and I guess I you know I hadn't even thought about that it's such an interesting point you made that maybe that skill set of being able to go into a room full of strangers even though like being able to have that skill of just I'm forcing a conversation because I just am is very much rooted in waiting tables. I hadn't thought about that. Well, it taught me small talk, which is a big thing you need in the entertainment industry. Hello. <laughs> what was your least favorite of all those customer service jobs? Charlie Brown's. Why? I hated that job. Oh, it just, <laughs> it, I think like when you take wait, waiting tables and then you add like corporate to it, which is exactly what Charlie Brown's is, like, yeah. Ugh. I, and also, and this is no disrespect to the people that worked there, a lot of the folks that worked at that one were, at the time I think I was like 20 or 19, I wasn't even 21 yet, and a lot of the people I worked with were like in their late 20s to mid 30s, and they were bitter and angry and like clearly all had some, some their own mental issues of like, oh, you drink a lot or you do this. And I think I was kind of like, yeah, I don't want to be one of these people. Like, it, yeah. it weirdly motivated me to, like, push harder. At the time, I was in community college. It was before I got into NYU. And, like, I think I, it was a really uh, an, a rude awakening of, like, I don't, this is not where I want to be in 10 years. <laughs> and it just sucked. People tipped. Like, I made better tips working in a diner than I did in a steakhouse. People were so cheap, so rude, and you could not say a thing back to a person no matter how how rude or disgusting they were to you wait you would just have to sit there and take it mm -hmm. 
That part of corporate, I will never understand. I understand reeling people in and not letting them wild out however they want, but taking abuse, I, I just, I don't understand why that's part of the corporate model of restaurants. Well, that's like my other wait, waiting job at the diner. I still remember, I think I was 17 or 18 and we had this thing called a cookie sundae. So it was like a big chocolate chip cookie that you would, you could heat it up and put ice cream on it. And so this guy calls me over and he's like, sweetie, let me get one of those cookie sundaes. And I go, great, do you want the cookie warmed up? And he goes, only if you sit on it. My boss at the time had two daughters. And so I walked out front and I was like, I'm just gonna tell you what just happened. And he walked in the back and was like, and this was a regular customer. And he was like, you can get the fuck out. We don't talk to young women that way. That's amazing. Did the guy ever come back? He did. And he never spoke to me again and always Good. very much avoided me. Good. So, uh, Good. Yeah. Okay. And so when they would come in with the coupons, would you, so they would tip off of not what the total should have been, but what the total actually was. See, that's correct. I wish people understood that with coupons is that like if the base price of two steaks should have been 50, but you're getting them for 20, tip off the 50 because the only people that suffer end up being the servers. It's not even corporate because that meat is probably worth a penny. Totally. One, I, my, the, the diner job, one thing I hated was my, a lot of my boss's friends would come in and everybody ate for free and not all of them tipped. And like, they'd sit like at the server table where we usually like rest and they'd be like, can I get a, a, a thing? And like sometimes I'd literally look over and go, the soda machine's right there, help yourself. Good. Like I don't have time, I've got 10 tables right now and it's the middle of the rush. And like then the audacity to like not leave me a dollar when you just ate for free and I actually like waited on you. It was like a divide. He had certain friends who you always knew like, I'll take care of them because I know they're gonna leave me a tip, you know, and, and they always tried to pay him for food even though he argued. And then there were other ones that just came in and you're like, well, I know he expects it, so. Ugh, that just feels like shit. Do you find the power that customers are able to wield like a little bit scary or do you find it understandable since they're tipping? No, it's completely scary. I think people have a massive sense of entitlement that like, because I gave you a five, uh, because I'm going to give you a $5 tip, I am allowed to harass you and treat you like shit. I've always kind of made the joke the customer is wrong. The customer <laughs> is almost always wrong and they are not right in any way. Like there are, t I could maybe count on one hand the number of times. So I was like, you know what? You're right. We rude. fucked up your food or this person was rude to you and like you don't deserve that. But I'd say more often than not, it was just like, yeah, I'm sorry. What did you think this was? Like I'm, I'm not your assistant. Like I'm here to yeah. get you food and serve you things. Like that doesn't mean that you get to abuse me. Um, you know, the diner was hard cause it was a lot of regulars and it was a very affluent town. And so you would get a lot of regulars who would pry and like really kind of get into your business and like then make comments about like, oh, it's so, it's so cute that you work. Like, I wish my kids had to do that. Like, and it was just like- You've a, gotta be kidding me. Oh yeah, subtle like socioeconomic slight. You because know, you had yeah. to work. It's really have, have I ever told you the Michael Kors watch story? Uh-uh. Okay, so God, do you remember those like really gaudy gold Michael Kors watches oh, that yeah. like, everybody loved? And they were big like Nordstrom Bloomingdale's thing. And I remember going up to a table, it was uh, it was Saturday breakfast, and I was like, oh my God, I love your watch. And she goes, thanks, it's really expensive. So I looked it up on my phone, and I was like, oh, okay, this is what I make in a double shift. And so 
I knew that that customer comes back for breakfast on Sunday. And so Saturday I went and bought the watch. No, you did not, Megan. And then I took her order like this. Anything? Uh, Would you, anything? And she was like, oh, oh, you got the watch. And I go, yeah, it's so cheap. I can make this in a double shift. Did you really say that? Of course I did. That's amazing. That lady. And did she even react at all? Was she just like, okay, whatever? No, I think she realized like, oh, I was an asshole. Yeah, because she was. And that's a that was such a flex for no reason at all. Like who flexes on someone who's already in a lower power position? People mm. from Long Island, that's who. There you go. What's the weirdest thing you've been asked to do whilst on the clock? Oh, <laughs> it's not really weird. I think it's just funny was lamography we used to throw these like parties all the time because they were european and they thought like you throw a party people will come in and spend money it's like no it's manhattan and you're giving away free booze and i literally spent like a whole day walking back and forth from diagostinos to um to our store like carrying cases of beer that i then knew i was going to drink for free like, <laughs> it's just like they realized they're just paying me to get drunk later right, right? like i just want to make sure they're aware of that <laughs> what is i don't know diagostino's is it a liquor store no it's like a high-end um supermarket chain oh, damn. in uh new york it's just like a little pricey um, oh, it's like our lessons or whatever the hell i'm not, not yeah that. i don't exactly um was there ever an incident that made them ask to speak with your manager yes always i mean at the <laughs> diner constantly my favorite one was when i was i was training to be a server and we had a we had 82 flavors of gelato and so like a big part 82 all made on premise my boss was from italy damn so good so we had you know tons of dessert and ice cream on the menu and we happened to have like you know, the way someone ordered something sometimes dictated how you were like, oh, that's a hot fudge sundae, which comes with this. Or is it two scoops with an added 75 cent upcharge of hot fudge? Ultimately, they all equal the same thing. If you got two scoops with hot fudge and whipped cream, it was the same as the hot fudge sundae, which came with two scoops, hot fudge and whipped cream. Like it was always the same. And so depending on your server and like how they learned, they might write things differently. And so a Sunday, you would always write, if it was caramel, hot fudge, whatever, you would write the topping on and then the two flavors. And that meant add whipped cream. Like that was like the, the shorthand for it. But if someone got two flavors, which also was a small, sometimes they would order it like, ah, let me get a scoop of vanilla and a scoop of the, of the hazelnut. And you know what, yeah, let's put some hot fudge and whipped cream. So I would start writing and I'd write a small with the two flavors and then I'd add hot fudge and whipped cream. It's the exact same thing. But so everything was carbon copy checks, like handwritten. So I dropped the bill at a table that's regulars and she goes, 75 cents for hot fudge? Are you kidding me? And I'm like, yeah, she goes, no, no, no. I ordered the hot fudge sundae where it's included. And I'm trying to explain to her, like, just so you know, like, the math adds up the exact same way. It's just, like, how I ordered it. Like, at the end of the day, it's six ninety nine, whatever, with your tax. And and she was like, absolutely not. And, like, caused all... The manager wasn't even there. So then, like, one of the waitresses had to be, like, you know, she knew the, the woman. where She was like, come on, Diane. Like, it's the same thing. You're here all the time. Like, you know that hot fudge is an upcharge. And also, like, it's the same thing. Oh, man, and she was so livid, like, would not let it go. And she's like, you're trying to scam me. I know you're trying to scam me. This bitch came in the next day, by the way, 
and tried to return a steak sandwich that she had ordered for delivery the day before. Megan. She tried to return a steak sandwich. How, how and why? I have no idea. And then she saw me and she was like, mm, Are you trying to screw me over on the hot fudge? But tell me, she could have just done the math herself, right? Couldn't she have been oh, like. 100%. And even, but even when I showed her the math. She I was, was hoping. Like, no. No. Oh, okay. Uh-uh. You're, cool. you're ripping me off. Like, I see what you're doing here. Every time I come here, the price is different. And you're like, there's no way that's true because it's a, oh, that would, that stuff. So she was going off, like, let me talk to the manager and the manager wasn't there. So another server came over. Yeah. Who like tried to talk her off a ledge. And this server had been there for years and was just like, hey, like, you know, it's the same thing. And so like, she had to performatively like void the check and write a new one. The total was the same. I'll die. I'll die. And what a waste of time. Like, that's the most precious commodity in customer service. And you're wasting my time. And I hope all the other table. This is, I used to say this at the store all the time. It's like you sitting here and drilling me about the two drink minimum and telling me you don't want to do it and blah, 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 blah. You are just adding 20 minutes for every 30 seconds I'm here. That's 20 minutes before I can be to somebody else. And it's so like... Mm -hmm. To what end? You're going to end up paying the bill anyway. I'll say we had a family that used to come in. They were the cheapest people on the face of the planet. And I I don't want to like maybe they were hard on times and like they, you know, didn't always have all the money, but they like would scheme and order entrees and split them and like try and get free scoops of ice cream. And they were a huge pain in the ass and they smelled horrible no one in this family showered and so we called them the smellies like we legitimately and like you draw a straw of who had to take their table because we pooled tips so it was sort of like nope i took them last night and i dealt with this abuse you do it and like they were a pain in the ass they'd have you running back and forth back and forth back and forth for refills and plates and this and that and they would tip like 11 or 12 percent what was the excuse for not showering and being that terrible they None. were just cheap. They were just them. Know. Yeah, they were just garbage people. Like, Ugh. you could just tell that they were people who, like, even if it was like, oh, we've been on hard times, they were like, we know how to scheme this. Like, we figured out how to order these entrees and split things up and pay less money. And they like, uh, okay. There have been all these pictures that people have put up lately of people since buffets are back or whatever. There's still some buffets that are available of people just leaving these tables just destroyed with all this extra disgusting food and them just being like, well, it's a buffet, so they got like 16 extra plates or whatever. And I'm like, I find that type of behavior just as abhorrent as I find a super rich person at like a very high-end restaurant snapping and being demanding. It's the same, it's it's a it's a power move regardless of how it manifests and it's so gross both ways. Uh, what was the last straw that got you out of? We know uh, why the one-hour photo job is because you were graduating college but was there a last straw with any of the other customer service jobs where you were like uh, flip a table I'm out yeah I mean Charlie Brown's I think it was like again because it was so corporate and it was like I had to get it wasn't like a demerit but there was something like well hey you know like you didn't do this thing yesterday and I was like but literally my friend Frank was the manager and I went fuck this job I'm out and he was like (laughs) what and I was like yeah I quit like this shit's terrible I was I make more money working in a diner and I don't have to wear a stupid pressed shirt and have people yell at me about salad bars were you were you doing both simultaneously is that how you were able to default back to the diner Uh, Mm -hmm. so what made you want to get two jobs money uh, i was desperate and yeah. broke yeah that'll do it that, that's Be, weird being a being a photography major ain't cheap uh, <laughs> it turns out have you ever told a customer to f off or to leave or to get the hell out i've never 
like told them to leave, I have chased someone outside for not tipping and asked what was wrong with my service. Did you really? I 100% did. And they stood there and handed me money on the sidewalk. Are you serious? And you took it? Mm-hmm. Good oh, for you. Hell yeah. Wait, what made you, you were just like, cause you were getting stiff so rarely? Yeah, well, and it was like, it was a big ass table, but we hadn't gratted them, I don't think. So like, and it was like someone who I had like bent over backwards for and it was real, and it was really busy. So I like ran out in the middle of a Saturday night and I was like, hi, excuse me, like, was there something wrong with my service? Good for you. Uh, and he goes, excuse me. And I was like, cause you didn't leave any tip. And so I'm just curious. And he like froze and then just took his wallet out and handed me a 20. I cannot believe the the level of just like no give, give no fucksitis where you were just like, oh, no, not only will I leave my incredibly busy station and I will end up fucking myself because I'm going to have to play catch up. But also I'm going to make this point like good for you, Megan. I wish I had the balls to do that. I mean, I used to work 13-hour shifts on Saturdays. I'd work like a full double. It technically no. was a triple because there was a, like a middle. And like, so by eight or nine o'clock, I've been there for almost 12 hours. And I'm like, no, uh-uh, I don't have the patience. And also like, it wasn't just me you're stiffing. You just stiffed everyone because we pooled tips. So like, I wasn't just out there advocating for my $20. I was advocating for the $20 that was going to go in the bucket that we all were going to split. So did you ever find, because a pooled tip house I don't love. It makes me very frustrated. Did you find that there were always those people who wouldn't pull their weight and just banked on the fact that you'd bust your ass or did pretty much everybody bust their ass? Yeah, I mean, you. there were certain combinations of people that you were like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm working with these two tonight. And like, so there was definitely strategy, but I'd largely say like, you consistently ended up working with a lot of the same people. Cause like you could be like, oh, I know Tuesdays I'm always with Jamie. And so we would also oscillate like where we had a bigger room in the back, which was basically anything over a four top usually went back there. And so if you took the back room section, you had less tables often, but your tables were much bigger. And so it would kind of even itself out of like, okay, well I've got three six tops in the back and you've got five two tops. Um, but I'm technically bringing in higher money because I just have a bigger table. And so it always, it tended to balance out, but there were definitely nights where you would kind of have, especially with like new people where I was like, hey, I'm not covering your section. Like I've got, I've got the party room in the back. Like I need you to pull your weight. Your tables cannot be calling me over, asking me where their ketchup is. Like prep your tables, set your shit up. And like, I have things to do. Good for you. Yeah, that was, that's part of the, one of the things that I hate. And then did you ever think your managers were skimming if you had to turn your cash in at the end of the night? No, absolutely not. That's awesome. I, 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 the only person I think he was skimming was the federal government. And, and listen, I more don't power to him. Yeah, I'm not even going to judge it. I get it. Until we tax the billionaires, you can't tax these small businesses. Anyway, side yeah. note, do you ever not tip? Absolutely not. You literally, you would have to have like spit in my face for me to not tip. Like I will still tip. Like it, you'll get 15% if you were like a garbage human who is at like absolutely terrible, but like I can't not tip. I'm just also perspective. You don't know what someone's going through. Maybe some other table, a bunch of assholes. Like I, I've had enough serving experience to know that like it's not always personal and people are trying their best. So like I, I truly, I don't even, I like barely will return something. Like, really? you could legitimately put the wrong thing in front of me. And if I, I'm like, well, whatever, I'll eat it. <laughs> like, oh my I God. Just, like, I hate being that person who's like, sorry, this isn't cooked properly or this isn't correct. Like I 
when people like will say like actually she ordered the mashed potatoes and not the fries and i'm like it's fine just shut up i'll eat the fries i don't fucking care like it's fine that is so nice see i'm the person who wants my order right even no matter how much work i've done in the industry like you're you're nicer than i am what is your baseline for tipping what's your percentage 25 damn that's so impressive what about for delivery you know i it's funny in the pandemic i've become a much more egregious delivery tipper so I always used to tip, I actually used to tip 15% on delivery because I used to be like, well, okay, they're not preparing the food. And then now I've seen how crazy the delivery system has like crushed the, the restaurant industry. And yeah. so I end up like tipping way too much on delivery. Uh, but then I, I sort, of, sort of validated as like, yeah, you were too lazy to get up. So that's, that's, that's your fee for doing that. That's very kind. I, my whole thing was because I used to drive for, it wasn't Uber Eats, I forget who it was for. But um, when I did it and people wouldn't tip me, I would just think, and of course I would never do this, but I would think, you know, I've got your home address. And sometimes in the notes, you put the code for me to get into your building in the notes, like, and you didn't tip, like someone way less hinged than I am is going to absolutely come back to this house at some point. Like I didn't have that kind of time nor that energy, but I just always wondered, I'm like, yeah, when you get delivery, like they know where you lay your head at night. Like you get that, right? <laughs> um, well, I used to hate when people would order takeout at the diner, especially when we were busy. Um, it wasn't the waitresses, it was the counter girls. We had like counter girls that did all the ice cream and waffles and everything. So, you know, they gotta stop down what they're doing while I'm throwing checks going like, let's go, let's go, I need two coffees, I need this. Like really kind of getting in their face. And they're packing up food, making sure it's got all the things in it that it needs. And like, oh shit, this customer also wanted ice cream. So I gotta put it in the freezer until they get here. And to watch them like navigate all of that and then hand everything over and that person not to leave a dollar for them, like it would blow my mind. I will say the cops never paid for food and they always tipped really well. And I don't like police. I'm not a cop fan. Wow, (laughs) that's that's impressive. my My boss refused to let them pay and they always tipped. Like they always then essentially tried to pay like tip what they thought was the dollar amount of the food. That's really nice. Um, and so like that was, what, you know, they were ones that like they'd come in for takeout sometimes and like I'd always see them drop a 20 in the bucket. And Hell like yeah. that I appreciated. Um, but I could not stand people who were like, well, let's take out. Like, yeah, someone still had to do work for you. Turns out. So what are you what are you doing? Can you give me either an incident with the worst customer you had to ever interact with or an archetype of who would be the worst customer? Yeah, so I, I'll go with the archetype because this will describe like 90% of the people that would come into the diner it's an entitled regular mm. like I'm I, I, you know, I know not every restaurant really kind of goes to this but I think a diner you know it's a very like homey place and like you would get a lot of people who normally were lovely but then like they just have that day and they'd like almost feel comfortable like flipping out on you or like losing their shit and like I, I still remember this guy um we'll call him Kevin but we did not have a grilled cheese deluxe. Like it just, there wasn't a grilled cheese with fries. It was always, you ordered a grilled cheese and you got a side of fries. This guy knew this his whole fucking life, but he always came in and he ordered a grilled cheese deluxe. And so over time, what happens is you just know, okay, Kevin wants the grilled cheese and the side of fries. So someone new took his order. Oh no. And she was like, well, we don't have that. And he goes, yes, you do. And she's like, no, we don't. Like, it comes with a side of fries. But the kitchen would always just put the fries on the plate for him because he was dramatic. So he comes out, like, holding the plate, being like, this is not what I ordered. And I had to, like, look at him and go, hey, Kevin, you having a bad day? 
<laughs> did you really say that? I did. I was like, that's amazing. Calm down. And I took the two <laughs> plates out of his hand, put them both on one plate, and brought it back. And I was like, we doing all right? Did you really? Okay? That's all. That's all he. Oh needed. yeah. Mm-hmm. Just needed them to be physically on the same plate. That um, screams mental illness to me. Like that's insane. Oh. We also had a woman who came in. Um, she ordered the same thing every day, which was a salad that was not on the menu. And so it was called special toss because that's what Debbie got. But you had to, when you came in, she sat down immediately. You must have a coffee at her table, a to-go box, because she immediately would put half the salad in the to-go box, two types of dressing and breadsticks. And they better be the flats that look a little bit more toasted. This is the kind of shit that I'm like, if you need specifications like that, the like the second I sit down, it looks like X because I used to bartend at a bar that was like this. It was like, I don't even want to interact with you. You know, my drink, that's it. And part of me felt freedom with that because it's like, okay, I can I can honor that request. But also my thing is, it's like when you have over three modifications to a meal, you're not meant to be out. Like if you need things to be an exactly specific way, then you need to stay at home, boo-boo, because this is, a, this is customer service with a bunch of human beings serving a bunch of other human beings. It isn't an on-demand, like you're, it's not fucking Netflix or TiVo or whatever the fuck, like... It, this is a restaurant experience. I just don't, I don't understand that. I would agree with you that that's the worst. Would she tip like crazy? No, absolutely not. Like her bill every day, I think was like 11, 15. Like and no she joke, leave two bucks. super low. You know, and she leave $2, like whatever, that's fine. <laughs> whatever. But I think the worst part about those people is how they treat new employees. Yes, as if they're supposed like, to know. Right, and it's like, I'm sorry that everybody doesn't read your mind. I mean, even when I was a barista, like same thing, you know, you'd, we, I, I knew people by their drink. I'm like, I couldn't tell you that guy's name, but he was a large black, a large uh, dark rose with a flat top, you know. And she's a, uh, uh, that's the lady that puts 18 Splenda in her fucking coffee, <laughs> and you knew. And like, there would be people who come in, and someone knew, you know, someone new would order something, and they'd like, oh, sorry, do you you said you wanted 18 Splenda, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I come here every day. Okay, congratulations, Mazel cool. all around. The average age of everyone working here is fucking 17. Yeah. So, like, let's calm down. And, like, so, yeah, it would be, it would put a lot of burden also on the people who had been there for a long time. Because then you have to stop what you're doing. Because even if they weren't in your section, they'd be like, no, 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 you come take my order. I don't want this new girl taking my order. And you're like, okay, she's more than capable of writing the words special toss and putting it in the kitchen. Like, it's not that hard. I'm sorry she didn't bring your breadsticks immediately. Like, and and that, what a weird flex. And like, it's like in your overly out of control life, this is the one space where I guess you as a customer feel like you can exert some sort of control. And it's it's just, it's it's annoying. It's very annoying. Well, on that note, we're gonna move on to the good stuff. We hope you all saved room for dessert. What's the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you were working? I'm like, nothing. Nothing, <laughs> right? This tends to be the hardest question. Well, it would be funny. So the way I got the job at the one-hour photo was that I was a barista, and the woman who used to come in all the time noticed that I would take pictures a lot because sometimes I would take pictures. You know, you're in photo school, and you got to find an assignment wherever you can. And so I'd be like, Ricky, go over there and make a coffee. I need to, like, get a shot. And she goes, oh. You, you shoot film? And I was like, yeah, I'm actually studying photography. Um, and she just like straight up was like, you should come work for my husband. And I was like, wait, why, why? And she was like, because we need somebody. And she, I think it was also code for like, we need someone young who we can pay mm, little money. Dog shit, but, like, yeah. 
I just thought, like it, it remember it being like a really kind thing. Um, and the only other one that I can think of is we used to have this woman, Lori, who would come in to the diner. She was a pain in the ass, but like she meant well. She knitted everyone's sweaters one summer when she was in Boca. So Come she, on. Oh, no, not sweaters, scarves. So she came back and everybody got a scarf. And I, I was like, that's Lori. So and she goes, I see you more than I see my kids. Of course I'm going to make you guys a scarf. Oh, see, stuff like that really does matter. And it is really sweet. It, seeing you as a whole person outside of the job, which I say all the time yeah. is what matters. What's the best tip that you can ever remember having gotten? God, I've never had like a baller tip. I'll say that. Like, really? you know, when people talk about like celebrity dropping, like whatever. But I mean, I, I'll i say working in a diner, you don't really like, it's not the same. Like celebs didn't come in or it wasn't like, oh, this is this big chick. But I would definitely say the best was the double grat was like if you yeah. do a party and um, uh, I would straight up be like, hey, gratuities included. And they're like, yeah, but we were annoying. And they would just like throw more money on it. And not everyone did that because like, it was, what was it? 18% service charge on parties over six. And I had people who then would still tip 25% like with the grat included. Hell so yeah. not like taking the grat out and then giving like being like, okay, whatever. It was 250. So here's 25% of that. And I'm like, uh, we brought you waffles and ice cream. And they're like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. See, those people are, are very, very special. What's the best lesson that you've personally learned from working in customer service? The customer is wrong. <laughs> I'm calling 100%. this episode that. No, it's, the customer is wrong and there's nothing you can do about it. Like, mm -hmm. I, and I think that's a great lesson for the customer is sort of your boss, right? And they, you're just going to have to eat shit sometimes and just be like, okay, this person's crazy, but they're paying me or they're tipping me. And so like to just swallow that pride a little bit and yeah. just be like, whatever, this is transactional. And, and that can go true for any job, you know, like even a, a, an office job, but just like, it's a job. The person's going to need what they want. They're going to ask for how they want and just not take it personally. Hello. That's great. What's the best time you've ever had at work that you can think of? In the customer service setting. <laughs> oh, man. This is probably not a great time. But so I used to work Monday night shifts uh, at the diner, which were like there were only two people on. So it was like kind of slow. But you make you could make good money just because it was two of you dividing up the whole dining room. But my friend Rich and I were definitely big potheads. And so <laughs> we used to roll a joint <laughs> and then take turns going outside and smoking it. Yes. But then we'd come in and both be like, yo, you want some pasta? <laughs> <laughs> and like, so mon I, my, there was a, a very long time where then sometimes he'd be like, oh, I'm not going to be working next Monday. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? And I'd get stuck with like one of the older ladies or like someone else. And I'm like, this is no fun. Like, yeah, the like fun part about Mondays is it's slow. We get to smoke weed outside and then I eat a brownie Sunday. <laughs> I love that. I'm glad I asked that. Well, what's one piece of advice you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers? Be patient. You know, I, I think in the same way that we have to sit here and go, I don't know why this person's annoying or is an asshole. Like you have no idea what anyone's dealing with. Um, I think lately I've noticed people on like health insurance companies or medical offices like are like, hi, sorry, I have 800 call and they're I'm like, don't apologize. There's a global pandemic. Everybody's trying to get healthcare now. I totally understand. Like, Hello. it's not your, it's not your fault that you're understaffed. Like, and just trying to have some le like leniency and patience, uh, yeah. especially knowing that the person who you're bitching to probably is not responsible for whatever it is you're complaining about. If it's a long wait or that, you know, it, it's very often not your server's fault. If it is, I would always admit it. I'd be oh. like, shit, I'm sorry. I forgot to throw that ticket in. That's my bad. You know, like, and then I comp them something if I could. But if I was like, hey, I, 
the kitchen just didn't make it. I don't know what you want from me. I wrote it down on the check. Like, you can yell at me all you want, but it's not going to make your hamburger get here any faster. That's awesome. Well, Megan, we know you have to keep your socials kind of to yourself and you're not really a big self-promo person. But um, what I'll say is anybody that wants to get in touch with Megan, her email address is hotgirlsdate69 at AOL.com. So she will answer (laughs) to that. Well, folks, we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service From Hell, we'd love to have you subscribe, rate, and or review the show wherever you listen. It will help us reach more people that need to be schooled on the art of being kind and will be catharsis for those of us working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us here directly at Service from hell send us your receipts to service from hell podcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you remember if you can't afford a tip you can't afford to go out so don't be garbage and be good to people it's easier that way megan did you want to say anything else you want to promo anything else you want to talk about anything else you got anything else for us um yeah i mean you all should subscribe to peacock and watch the comedy specials then that i work on because i think we're trying to do some some really interesting and new stuff um and peacock's a new streamer and i know people aren't really familiar with it so Come support the comedians that I'm trying to give specials to. And can you also explain, because I think when people hear comedy special, they sort of think one person talking into a mic. Can you explain what Peacock is doing that's different? You know, we we are doing stand-up specials where a comedian is just on stage telling jokes, but we also are doing things that are a little different as well. Um, We did a special with Joe Firestone last year where she had been teaching stand-up comedy to senior citizens uh, in New York. Not making fun of them, being very kind to them and actually teaching them stand up. No, like teaching them how to be comics, like giving them opportunities to like mine their life for material. And uh, and then we brought them together for the first time in person and they did a class together and we interviewed them about their their insane backgrounds. Like they were just people you would talk to and you're like, I'm sorry, what? This woman does more than I do. And she's like 75 and she's a pastor and this and that. And like just these crazy stories and reminding just it was a really nice way to remind yourself that like no matter what age you are, you can be funny and that your life can be ripe for comedy. And then we, you know, we're also doing sketch specials. We just shot a sketch special with John Early and Kate Berlant, uh, mm-hmm. which is going to be incredible. Uh, and then the more moving stuff, you know, Alyssa Lynn Paris is going to be doing a show for us called No Bad Days, uh, which is incredible and it's a really moving comedic story about losing her dad so we're not just here to punch jokes at you i think we're also here to kind of give you a lesson and and find something relatable for you because there's a lot of really relatable human experiences uh that can come through in comedy wow what a good pitch peacock we're not just here for the yucks we're getting honest authentic authentic comedy um well megan say your special your, your catchphrase special about or your catchphrase about comedy specials Oh, we're trying to put the special back in comedy special. I love that line. It's so nerdy, but it is true. It's true. Yeah. Well, Megan, thank you so much for being here. And thank you folks so much for listening. Good night. Good night.